Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. Today's guest is going to be poet Jared Harrell. And before we get to the interview, which will deal with his chapbook, The Body Double, printed in 2012 by Brooklyn Arts Press, as well as the upcoming uh, full-length collection, Go Because I Love You, published by DOD Editions on March 7, 2018. Uh, before we get to the interview, uh, we'll be talking about identity and uh, change in identity from being single to being a uh, husband and parent that uh, Jared went through in his life and uh, discussing the themes of the personal is political, which is the major theme of this show. We're going to be um, discussing in the interview. Before we get to that, I'm going to do a, a quick reading from Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces uh, from uh, the second part, uh, Tragedy and Comedy, because I feel it's very appropriate to this interview to begin with a foundation and um, understanding how the hero goes through their journey. So I'll read from that chapter, and then uh, I'm going to be playing a song, um, and then we'll go to the interview. So number two, tragedy and comedy. Happy family is all alike. Every unhappy family is an unhappy in his own way. With these faithful words, Count Leo Tol- Tolstoy opened the novel of the spiritual dismemberment of his modern heroine, Anna Karenina. During the seven decades that have elapsed since the dis- that distracted wife, mother, and blindly impassionate mistress threw herself beneath the wheels of a train, thus terminating with a symbolic gesture that which uh, had already happened to her soul, her tragedy of disorientation, a tumultuous and un- unremitting romances, news, news reports, unrecorded cries of anguish have been going up in the honor of the bull demon of the labyrinth. The wrathful, destructive, maddening aspects of the same God, who, when benign, is the vivifying principle of the world. Modern romance, like Greek tragedy, celebrates the mystery of dismemberment, which is life and time. The happy ending is justly scorned as a misrepresentation, for the world as we know it, as we have seen it, yields but one ending. Death, disintegration, dismemberment, and the crucifixion of our heart, with the passing of the forms that we have loved. Pity is the feeling which arrests the mind in the presence of whatever is grave and constant in human suffering and unites it with the human sufferer. Terror is the feeling which arrests the mind in the presence of whatever whatsoever is grave and constant in human suffering and unites it with the secret cause. As Gilbert Murray had pointed out in his preface to Ingrid Bywater's translation of Poetics of Aristotle, tragic catharsis, the purification or purgation the emotions of a spectator of tragedy through his experience of pity and terror corresponds to an earlier catharsis, a purification of the community from the taints and poisons of the past year, the old contagion of sin and death, which was the function of the festival and Mr. Play of the dismembered bull god Dionysus. The meditating mind is united in this mystery play, not with the body that is shown to die, with the principle of continuous life that for a time inhabited it. And for that time was the reality clothed in the apparition, at once the sufferer and the secret cause, the substratum into which ourselves dissolve when the tragedy that breaks human's face has split, shattered, and dissolved our mortal frame. Pierre, Pierre, 
What whatso thy shape or name, O mountain bull, snake of the hundred heads, lion of the burning flame, O God, beast, mystery, come. This death, to the logic and emotional commitments of our chance, moment in the world of space and time, this recognition of and shift of our emphasis to the universal life that throbs and celebrates its victory is the very kiss of our annihilation. This amor fati, love of fate, love of the fate that is inevitably death, constitutes the uh, experience of the tragic art, therein the joy of it, the redeeming ecstasy. My days have run, the servant I, initiate of Adian Jove, where the midnight Zagreus roves, I rove. I have endured his thunder cry, fulfilled his red and bleeding feasts, held the great mother's mountain flame. I am set free, and name by name, a Bacchus of the mailed priests. Modern literature, modern literature is devoted in a great measure to the courageous, open-minded uh, observation of the sickening, broken figurations that abound before us, around us, and within. Where the natural impulses to complain against the Holocaust has been suppressed to cry out blame or to announce panaceus, the magnitude of an art of tragedy more potent for us than the Greek finds realization. The real, realistic and intimate and variously interesting tragedy of democracy, where the God is beheld, crucified, and the catastrophes not of the great houses only, but of every common home, very scorned and lacerated face. And there is no make-believe about heaven, future bliss and compensation to alleviate the bitter majesty, but only utter darkness, the void of unfulfillment, to receive and eat back the lives that have been tossed forth from the womb only to fail. In comparison with all this, our little stories of achievement seem pitiful. Too well we know what bitterness of failure, loss, disillusionment, and ironic unfulfillment galls the blood, even the envied of the world. Hence we are not disposed to lying to comedy the high rank of tragedy. Comedy and satire is acceptable, as fun and it is pleasant heaven of escape, but the fairy tale of happiness ever after cannot be taken seriously. It belongs to the never-ending land of childhood, which is protected from the realities that will become terribly known soon enough. Just as the myth of heaven even after is for the old whose lives are behind them and whose hearts have been readied for the last portal of the transit into night, whose sober, modern, occidental judgment is founded on total misunderstanding of realities depicted in the fairy tales, the myth, and the divine comedies of redemption. These in the ancient world were regarded as of a higher rank than the tragedy of deeper truth, of more difficult realizations, of a sounder structure, and of a revelation more complete. The happy ending of the fairy tale, the myth, and divine comedy of the soul is to be read not as a contradiction, but as a transcendence of the universal tragedy of man. The objective world remains what it was, but because of the shift of emphasis within the subject, is beheld as though transformed. Where formerly life and death contended, now enduring being is made manifest. As indifferent to the actions of time as water boiling in a pot, to the destiny of a bubble, or to the cosmos, as the appearance and disappearance of a galaxy of stars. Tragedy is the shattering of the forms and our attachment to the forms. Comedy, the wild and careless, inexhaustible joy of life invincible. Thus, the two are the terms of a single mythological theme and experience which includes them both, which they are bound. 
the downgoings and upcomings, cathodis and anodis, which together constitute the totality of the revelation that is life, in which the individual must know and love if he is to be purged of the contingence of sin, disobedience to the divine will, and death, identification with the mortal form. All things are changing, nothing dies. The spirit wanders, comes now here, now there, and occupies whatever frame it pleases. For what that which is once existed is no more, that which is not has come to be, and the whole wor world round of motion is gone through again. Only the bodies of which that is eternal is imperishable, incomprehensible self as the indweller, and are said to have an end. It is the business and mythology proper of the fairy tale to reveal the specific dangers of technique of the dark interior way from tragedy to comedy. Hence the incidents are fantastic and unreal. They represent psychological, not physical triumphs. Even when the legend is of a, in a historical personages, uh, the deeds and victory are rendered, not in lifelike, but in dreamlike figurations. For the point is not that such and such has done on earth. The point is that before such and such could be done on earth, this other more important primarily thing has to do, uh, has to be brought to pass within the labyrinth that we all know and visit in our dreams. The passage of the mythological hero may be overground, incidentally. Fundamentally, it is inward, into depths where obscure resistance are overcome and long lost, forgotten powers are revived to be made available for the transfiguration of the world. This deed accomplished life no longer suffers hopelessly under the terrible mutations of ubiquitous disaster, battered by time, hideous thought throughout space, but with its hor horror visible still, its cries of anguish still tumultuous, it becomes penetrated by an all-suffering, all-sustaining love and a knowledge of its own unconquered power, something of the light that blazes invisible within the abysses of its normally opaque material materiality breaks forth with an increasing uproar. The dreadful mutilations are then seen as shadows only of an imminent, imperishable eternal eternity. Time yields to glory, and the world sings prodigious, angelic, but perhaps finally monotonous siren, music of the spheres. Like happily families, the myths and the world redeemed all alike. Our main event is about to start, but before we um, get to our interview with Jared Harrell, we're going to listen in on a song called Agree by Polisa and Stargaze. I recently saw a concert with them in Symphony Space in New York City, and I was very impressed, and um, I'm sharing with you a song of theirs called Agree.
Welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and here today with us is Jared Harrell, who is the author of The Body Double, published by Brooklyn Art Press in 2012, and his upcoming collection, uh, full-length collection, Go Because I Love You, is going to be published by Diodin Editions uh, in March 7th, 2018. He's been awarded the Stanley Kunitz Memorial Prize for American Poetry Review the William Matthews Poetry Prize from Asheville Poetry Review, and an individual artist grant from Queen's Art Council on the Arts. His poems have uh, appeared in such journals as Tin House, The Three Penny Review, The Southern Review, Massachusetts Review, Poetry Daily, and um, Bennington Review, 32 Poems in Newtown Literary. Uh, Jared teaches at um, Nassau Community College, plays drums with uh, Flying Jay and the Ghost Robber, and lives in Rigo Park, New York with his wife and two kids. So welcome, welcome to the show, Jared. Thank you, thanks for having me. Thank you. So, uh, so I guess first we'll start talking a little bit about your first chapbook, The Body Double, um, which uh, you know, I guess has a lot of themes of identity and disassociation with the self. If you talk a little bit about the themes of the work, I have the, um, the commentary on it here, but if you can talk a little bit about themes of what brought it about. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it started as a single poem. I didn't realize it was going to turn into a full chapbook, like a full-length narrative. Um, but I've always been interested in this, you know, the theme of identity, this idea of writing quote-unquote personal poems. Um, you know, we understand that fiction is make-believe, and we understand that nonfiction is supposed to be true, but poetry kind of straddles that interesting in-between. Um, you know, if you write in the first person and it seems like a plausible narrative, the reader often assumes it's the poet, the writer, uh, that they're talking about their own life. Um, and so I just thought it would be interesting to ha kind of have fun with that. The idea of the doppelganger um, has, is something that's kind of been throughout literature, this idea. And so I wrote one, I enjoyed it, and I wrote another, and I wrote another, and they started stringing along. And um, it wasn't until I'd written about a dozen of them that I started to sense that there was a narrative forming. Mm. Um, and as, as it happens, over the course of the collection, who the I in the poem is hopefully becomes a little murky. Yeah. And you're not sure if um, it's the, you know, the protagonist speaking or if it's the double speaking. Yeah, and also 
it seems like um, you're getting at like truth versus, you know, people usually think of truth as like autobiographical narrative, as you're mm -hmm. saying, or like what happened, this and that happened to me. But then you're getting at a deeper level of truth as a, through invention or imagination, so it seems like, right? Yeah. There, saying, yeah. There's the, you know, the, the difference between, you know, fact and truth. Yeah. You know, uh, just because something's factual doesn't necessarily always mean it's, it's the truest thing. And just because something's true doesn't mean it happened exactly the way it happened. Um, yeah, that happened. And I would, um, as I was writing it one time, I like Googled my name. And instead of like the normal few dozen hits, there were hundreds of hits recently. And someone with my own name and my age had died in a single engine plane crash. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, that's so awful. And I was like, oh, wait, that would work really well for, for my <laughs> yeah. project here. Yeah. Um, you know, this idea. And so I, and that worked its way in this idea of the, you know, the narrative voice, you know, dies in a single engine plane crash and then he has to break it to his parents that, sorry about that. You yeah. Know, you're not sure exactly who, um, who went down. Good, good. So why don't we listen to a poem from it? I know this poem in particular I liked because it had the, uh, it infused in at the language of uh, like terms of service and this kind of thing, like the kind of language of businesses, I think. Uh, so we'll listen to it and then we'll just kind of go a little bit. Oh yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Um, yeah, this is like standard procedure for my body that well. I took the language, um, this sort of wordy uh, legalistic tone from my apartment lease. Yeah. Double shall be and not be me, my dress, demeanor, and all other characteristics naturally instructed upon or implied by me. Double shall not be himself, nor anyone else, nor disfigure nor deface the me he is being. Double shall act as, and when necessary, react in a manner approximating me. Double shall pay for all clothing, surgery, weight training, hairstyling, and any additional cosmetic requirements necessary for accurate doubling. That double is a lesser version of me does not give double the liberty of appearing as such. However, if double's fashion taste is deemed intolerable, double shall pay me the reasonable costs of garments being provided for by me. Double shall smoke and thereby inhale three packs of camel filtered cigarettes per day. In addition to the aforementioned services during the term of this employment, double is to ensure that the entire premises, including the range, refrigerator, other appliances, bathroom, closet, cupboards, mattress, floor coverings, and especially the kitchen table is kept clean. If me is destroyed, damaged by fire, gunfire, smoke, water, or otherwise disabled, dismembered, or abused, or if me needs to vacate the premises for an extended period of time, double is hereby instructed to be me even more overtly, a me beyond me, a me-er me. Double shall not sublease or abandon his position without the prior written consent of me. However, in the likely event that double is destroyed, damaged by fire, gunfire, smoke, water, or otherwise disabled, dismembered, or abused, double is obligated to hire or obtain a double double that will observe and comply with the standard procedure for my body double attached hereto. Thank you, thank you. It brings in a lot of humor and into the satire. And, you know, I think it's really great that you're able to combine kind of this uh, homage to serious, you know, legalese documents and able to bring in that that pathos, you know? So like, uh, so you were saying you brought it from a lease document or? Yeah, yeah. it was my old apartment lease and I was reading it over and just the language was wordy to the point of it being comedic, Yeah, you know? Um, and it was a different register than I was used to. It's a different, it's not your typical poetic register. Mm. And so I just started experimenting with it and having fun with it. 
And yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, you know, humor is, I think, a really important, sometimes underutilized element of poetry. I mm. think there's a lot of blurred lines between humor and sadness, humor and pathos, and uh, I do like kind of finding my way through there. See, uh, so also read the one that you mentioned about the, um, we were talking about the single engine pug crash and how that, uh, so you can read that poem as well, yeah. Sure, yeah. My body double dies in a single engine plane crash, and suddenly I have some explaining to do. How exactly my double took off for Chicago, vanished from radar later that day. Later that day, I call my mom to say, sorry, I died out in Wyoming. Would you mind not taking questions from the press? I almost phoned my father, a pilot in his own right, to ask if open casket is out of the question, whether poor visibility was a plausible cause. Before long, hordes of reporters climb my fire escape, desperate to hear what not being feels like, and if heaven was worth all those flames. Yeah, good, good. So now, as, as a person, I know over the years, you, you're obviously like everyone, you're, uh, you've changed a lot. You've got, now, when you wrote this book, were you already married? Did you have a child at that time? Or I know you no, recently became a parent. This is yeah. pre kids. Yeah, so you, yeah. now in your full collection, you started dealing with your identity as a father and a husband. Sure. So, uh, how, how would you say the progression, or can you comment a little bit on the progression from the body double into your full length collection, uh, Go Because I Love You? Yeah, I think, I think it's. The body double, at least from my perspective, it feels like a very um, younger single male. Yeah. You know, there's a few poems about girlfriends and yeah. things like that, and losing girlfriends and who's dating who. And there's this weird sort of uh, love triangle that goes on with the body double. Um, but yeah, for sure, as it happened with my life, um, you know, time passes, I got married, and fatherhood in particular really had a strong effect on my work. You know, this idea of domesticity, um, you know, it kind of, it was almost impossible for not to start infusing the collection. Uh, I wrote Go Because I Love You from Diode Editions um, over the past six years, and my daughter's five and a half. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, you know, I was in it. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. It's really, literally some of these poems, you know, I was writing, you know, we had a, a one bedroom apartment for a while. And, you know, my desk was in the living room and I'd be writing and my daughter would like sit on my lap and like say something and it's, you know, or, or I'd write some of these poems in my head while, you know, pushing a stroller. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it would require, um, great force to have them not. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that's good. It's good. And it seems like our identities do change over the, over the course of our lifetime anyway. So it's good to always infuse that into there. So why don't we hear one poem from, uh, the, um, Go because I love you. Um, maybe we can start with um, uh, what do you think? All possible fates. Sure. Yeah. For okay. a while, all possible fates was my uh, collection opener. Uh -huh. I switched it to sort of the title poem. Yeah. Go so you can come back at kind of later on in the process. But yeah, all possible fates. Um, I also think of it as something of a queen's poem. Mm. You might find hints of that here and there. Uh, but yeah, definitely my daughter shows up. Yeah. In this one as well. All possible fates. The universe is expanding, but my apartment is not. This is balance, I tell myself, tripping over trikes, toy blocks, the way a house cat can convince itself a mattress is wilderness, its very own savanna, or how no one in the neighborhood can afford the neighborhood, though we ghost past townhouses, pretending they are ours. In the end, isn't it in our nature to disperse, to pull away? 
When my daughter begs to play hide-and-seek, I try my best not to find her immediately, though there are only so many places to hide. Then one day, sick of ducking behind sofa cushions or under the desk, she slips into the bathroom, snaps down the lock, three years old and well out of reach. Before I knew I too could disappear, I would leap off balconies, bunk beds and swings, bike to the brink of each dead-end street. I write this beside a man weeping into the arts and leisure section of the times. His lips are quivering, face wet, yet what can I do but look away? I look away, but he's in this now, fixed inside, like how my daughter was a door I threatened and pleaded with until she felt like having pancakes and turned the knob. I admit all fate, to all possible fates. Are we bound to be an airport where everyone leaves? Thank you, thank you. So uh, yeah, it's really good. I like the way we have not just the interjection of kind of domestic life, but also this hints at kind of that, um, you know, the, uh, the absurdity and violence around us, because the, the line specifically that, um, you know, you're talking about the dead end streets and hinting at like, you know, I guess it's your own childhood where you're kind of identifying with maybe, uh, if you can go a little bit into like how that weaves in that line, um, I know it could disappear. I would leap off blank uh, balconies. To you know, if you could talk a little bit about kind of how you kind of think about your own childhood in relationship to your children's. Yeah, I think I mean it goes back a little bit to um, parenthood and fatherhood and yeah. that theme of obligation. Yeah. Suddenly you're um, you have these little lives sort of in in your world and and you know you're needed. You're needed all the time. Yeah. Um, and so I think one of the big themes is, you know, what, what does it take for us to stay? You know, why do we stay? Yeah. Um, even when things are hard, um, you know, the love that's between kind of a family and, and all those, those, those issues. And, and yeah, boundaries. This is the yeah. idea that suddenly, you know, there's, there's, there's so much freedom to being an adult. Mm. Um, but there's also, there's also such limitations on that. Yeah, I think definitely we see like, you know, in, in the moment when a child becomes, I guess you might think difficult when she's locking herself <laughs> in the bathroom, you know, you find a poetic meaning in that, you're able to infuse that, you know, into the work and it's really great, you know. So, uh, and then also you end with um, about, uh, all, I admit all faults to all possible fates. I was interesting the play with faults and fates was yeah. nice, you know. Yeah, I tried to break on admit there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even in the beginning, like with the apartment not uh, expanding, you know, it's always just, just you know, how much like uh, New York, uh, New York struggle with, uh, you know, like our, our lives are getting more and more complicated, and yet our budgets and, and yeah. means are to those ends are more and more difficult, you know? Yeah, this was one of those poems uh, that started with that opening line. Yeah. You know, the universe is expanding, but my apartment is not. And it yeah. made me chuckle. Yeah, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with that and see yeah. how it goes. Yeah, this is one of those poems that I, I kind of let let loose and saw you know saw what it brought back to me. Yeah, <laughs> good, good. So uh, and uh, this is the second daughter. This uh, the, which which is which you have two children. So yeah, this is the second I, one or um, yeah, I have a daughter Netta who's five. Uh -huh. She's in kindergarten and this is her. I wrote this when she was three. Okay. Uh, and my son Oren is two and a half. Two and a half. Okay. Yeah. And was there any change when you had the second child or how how that experience? Yeah. Um, the changes that you know before when you used to hand your kid off to you know my wife, 
I had a few minutes off. Now yeah. she hands one back. Yeah. <laughs> you know? you know, I mean, once you know, it only takes one to be a parent. Good, you know? good, yeah. And so I think the big change came with the first. And obviously, my son has his own personality, his own, you know, his own worldview in that sense. Um, and I think that, you know, it tweaked things. But I think the real change came with becoming a parent. That yeah, of course, of course. So, um, you know, uh, so tell us a little bit more about the themes of Go Because I Love You as a whole. So I know in the description, I have a little thing from DOD uh, Editions that uh, it reads about um, full-length uh, poetry collection. That is a book of arrivals and departures about childhood and parenthood, desire and obligation, about who we love and how we stay. And then uh, you interweave domestic and daily with the political and historical. Uh, you're surveying everything from He-Man to the Holocaust, from sleep training to his young son struggling with the aftermath of the presidential election, and uh, create a portrait of 21st century America. It's a little bit about how the haunting of, it kind of indicates the the uh, ever present uh, ever presence of um, you know the absurdity of the politics in this world in, in America today, and sure. uh, talk a little bit about how that weaves its way into the work. And then I have one other poem that you know we'll go to later, but sure. yeah, yeah. No, um, I, I I do think of myself as more of a a, a, a writer of interiors. Uh huh. You know, I start with the personal. Yeah. But you know, without fail, the personal can become political. But the outside world encroaches. Yeah. I think that was. You know, especially true this past year. Yeah. You know, you you know, you have a daughter, you have a son. You wonder what sort of world uh, you're bringing them into. Yeah. Um, and there was one poem in particular right after the presidential election where which I wrote um, called "You Want It Darker," mm -hmm. uh, which I'm happy to read that. One. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you might have re remembered that pretty much right right around the time right after. Um, the most recent presidential election, Leonard Cohen passed away. Mm. And so it, it struck me as a perhaps an opportune time for him to get out. Yeah. Uh, and so I was writing this really in the immediate aftermath of that all. And I titled the poem after Leonard Cohen's final album, which he released about a month before he passed away. It's called mm. You Want It Darker. The day after the election, Leonard Cohen dies and my eye gets infected and my daughter flies around the living room, refusing to put on underwear. I can barely lift my head to see the smug sun pouring through the blinds, streaming its white spotlight on each darkened wall. I'm all in on grief and misery, all in shock and fuck this country, but it's still a day, a day I don't teach, but strap my son into his Cheerio-encrusted stroller and wheel him to his baby taps dance class at the Y. We arrived to find the teacher red-eyed and wrecked, her t-shirt wrinkled, acoustic slung low. Only one other parent is bothered to show, her kid wailing beneath the moon glow of her phone. When it becomes clear no one else is coming, the teacher begins to strum and sing of fall of piggies at market and monkeys in our beds. We squeeze our fingers into spinning fists and imagine we are buses peeling out of town. It all culminates in the world's saddest rendition of If You're Happy and You Know It, in which we're summoned to rise up off our multicolored mats to clap and stomp and shout, Hooray! Oh God, oh Leonard, who shed this life like a pinstripe suit, who saw this mess and chose not to stay but slipped between the bricks in his tower of song. The sun is still out there, armored and gleaming. There is nothing I can say to make it stop.
Thank you, thank you. So it's very good. I think that's really great how you're able to bring in, you know, it's a very uh, focused poem on a moment and perhaps a story time or yeah. some kind of thing like that and uh, toddler time. And, uh, you know, it, how these spaces are encroached in the, in the, you know, the political encroaches are all over our spaces, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. it was the day after the election. We were kind of all, you know, walking around in a daze, most yeah. of us in New York City. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I said, you still, ha you still have this kid who, like, needs breakfast and wants yeah. to go to class. And, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of that, that idea of pushing through and, and, and yeah, yeah. And going on. Good, good. And then, um, so also the, the uh, in one of the other poems you have the idea of like how personal space and the, the violence and the, and the um, there's one poem in particular, I believe it's called, um, Those of Us Who Cannot Recall Our Dreams. Oh, sure. Where there's a, there's a moment where there's like a lot of like almost mythical beasts coming in. There's no minotaurs and we have the invocation of the bullet hole. So we'll, we'll listen to that one and then maybe I can comment a little bit more on that one since uh, this one I had read before. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me get to that one. Yeah. Sure. Sure. And then um, even the technology in the previous uh, previous poem, like mm -hmm. how you know how even children are on the glow. The technology was interesting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the phones worked yeah. their way in as well. Yeah. Yeah. So this one, um, I, I for some reason I don't know when it started, but I'm not someone who re remembers any of my dreams. Yeah. I just. You know, I go to bed. I know I had, I dreamt of something, but I can't for the life of me remember what it is. My wife, on the other hand, is a really vivid dreamer, uh -huh. and she um, always tells me what they are, and she, they, you know, they really like affect her. Uh, so I thought, you know, this was something of like a, a shout out to those of us who cannot recall our dreams. Yeah, um, I'll read it. What we rise from is nothing to riddle our therapists, or account to lovers in the aquarium of our beds. There are no minotaurs joining us for supper, no grim or gripping visitations from the grave. Our lives are light switches hidden in dark rooms. But the other night I caught my wife uppercut the comforter, adamant that whatever it was, was hers. I have peeked inside the bullet hole of her sleeping mouth and found not a note, not even the bones of our life together. She tows this hidden world, ropes it to her waist, the way my mother once leashed me to her wrist in Magic Kingdom, so no one would take me, and so I'd never escape. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, she, so, my mom used to do that. Yeah. Like, you know, you see those poor kids who are like leashed. <laughs> yeah. You know, she didn't do that like at the mall, but at Disney, at Disney, she did that with us. Me yeah. And my two brothers. I guess it was too hard. My dad was kind of useless in terms of tracking us down, so it was her. She was outnumbered three to one with three little kids <laughs> in Disney, yeah. and so she leashed us. Yeah. So, I, I, I was shame, but I, I got her back with the poem. So. Yeah. <laughs> I have this great memory of, in uh, being in Disneyland where. You know, I turned around and everyone, all of my parents and sister, like, weren't in the visible sight. Yeah. So I had this moment of complete panic. <laughs> I'm like, please get very young. I'm please get out They turned up, they're like, oh, we just want to see how you reacted. Oh, no. That was like a trick. <laughs> I was like, you know, I was like, I was, you know, I was like in this crazy moment. Is that one going to make a poem? Yeah, probably, probably, yeah. yeah. Disney's a weird, surreal place, so I think it's a nice landscape for, for poems, actually. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I really liked how there are no minotaurs and the, the invocation of the bullet hole how it's like that that um that presence of like the outside of our personal space that haunting yeah. of these like you know there's this there's also this phrase like uh 
um, inviting your demons to tea. Mm-hmm. There's like, or have tea time with demons, you know, like having, uh, uh, you invite, if, you, if you have like personal demons sure. or anything, you have, yeah. invite them to tea and have tea with them. That's so it's really interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I like how that uh, you brought in the minotaurs and uh, there are no minotaurs joining us for supper. It's almost like an invocation of yeah. that kind of a think, uh, thesis, you know, about how to bring out these things to dinner or have them, uh, you know, grim or vis- grim, ripping visitations from the grave, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Good, good. So, um, yeah, and also the even the bullhole. Like I was interested in hearing a little bit more about like how you weave in these uh, kind of images. It's domesticity and like almost a violence in it. You know, how how where is it? Where is that? Where, where do you find that space, or how do you um, how do you grapple with that? Being a parent is scary. Yeah, it just is. Yeah, um, I, I I pine for the days when I only had to worry about myself. Yeah, you know, yeah. And my own well being. Yeah, um, and I, I I was surprised because I think there's a lot of joy and love in the book. Uh huh. Um, yeah. But I wanted to get at that tension between joy and fear, love yeah. and and absence with the title "Go Because I Love You," which yeah. you know sounds you know like odd. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's just a lot of there's a lot of fear and a lot of danger in the world, you know. Yeah. And so I was surprised when I was writing these poems that I thought were rooted in like domestic bliss or yeah whatever, that there was that you know this idea of death. And yeah. solitude and, and abandonment kept kind of coming in, and things like the bullet holes. Yeah, um, like even I was reading a lot of articles about you know children going through the um, you know uh, what do you call it the uh, plans for like preparing for shooter events. Yeah, you know, so just in case, and all these memes are coming across the internet about children who said things in response to that like they were going to protect their fellow students, and they're like very young, and you know to think about. Um, these kind of life and death situations that that young is so can be distressing, you know. Yeah. You know, no, also, there, yeah. There's 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 actually one poem in particular. Yeah. That sure, I mean, sure. plays to that idea uh-huh. of like how the domestic can suddenly, you know, there's this underbelly of violence. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly yeah. This poem, which I don't know if, if uh, <laughs> well, I'll read it. Right? Yeah. Right. It's, the title is called "Playing Airplane with My Niece." Uh huh. Um, I'm not gonna say which niece. Yeah. So. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't notice the ceiling fan until it nearly scalps her. Her small head lifted towards the void, my small life shuddering at the whip. But that's it. No one sees or cares, and my niece even begs me again, again, to hoist her into that spinning thing until I wonder if it wasn't so awful after all, so near, the way horror can seem subject to the convenience of our reactions. A question of taste. Or how we all sit down for bagels and cream cheese while a blinkless whitefish lies gutted and agape. Good, good. Thank you, thank you. So it's really interesting how, you know, all these like moments you with children, they're always on the verge of like hurting themselves and, you know, know getting themselves decapitated. Is that I was like, that's what happened. I was like, really, we were playing, and all of a sudden I look up and it's just, yeah, like, oh, no. yeah. <laughs> it seems like that. Like, even at, uh, when I, when I, at the library, when the kids come in, they're always like falling down yeah. and you know, always doing something, almost hurting themselves, so you know. But uh, and it was interesting how like the uh, the collections I read also, um, the samples I read also had like um, invocations of that, that uh, clear, that clear. Uh, just juxtaposition between the uh, the absurd and the and the loving and the 
mm-hmm. and and also that that violent uh, underbelly, you know. So even in like one of the poems we'll read a, in, a, in a moment or two, uh, if you read a moment to the Veterans Day poem was okay. really interesting because it had that uh, clear juxtaposition between you know the clown red and the mm-hmm. and the beheading and such, and it was really interesting for me to to read and experience like how you know we as people in the in the domestic spaces are observing or seeing the global narrative sure. and how it kind of um, plays out and how in what ways and where are we kind of isolated from that yeah yeah in what ways are we culpable yeah in what ways yeah. are we are we um, sort of I don't know not doing <laughs> enough complicit. Yeah, yeah, complicit or not doing yeah. enough to really um, fight for these fight for the people who are out there in the front lines, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I should add, I think guilt and shame yeah. are probably themes in the book as, yeah. any, as any, you know, Jewish, good Jewish boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, guilt and shame is in here yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll read that one. Yeah. Veterans Day 2014. And this was around the time where a lot of journalists were being beheaded by ISIS. Yeah. There, there were, you know, there were a lot of these public film beheadings that, you know, um, and so I was, you know, I was going to the gym and I would be, you know, they'd have the TVs on and sometimes they have the TVs on ESPN and sometimes oh. they'd have it on the news Yeah. and you'd be sitting there and you know, this it's, you know, anyways, I'll read it. Veterans Day 2014. Lately, I've been praying for life to surprise me like a pitch black living room primed to fracture into song and streamers, a hand on my shoulder yelling, didn't think we remembered, did ya? Lately, my counter-thoughts have been riddled with guilt, the way a stray wallet excites before shaming, though shame lasts and bitters the tongue. I saw coverage yesterday of a third beheading while doing crunches on an exercise ball. The ball, I remember, was clown-nosed red, and never before had I felt so damaged, so lucky and absurd. I drove home drowning in the hum of sports radio, grateful for the scores and in-depth analyses. Someone had become a restricted free agent. Someone had been traded and was finally coming home. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, with all this discussion of, you know, um, how to fight for the people who are out there, you know, risking their lives and sometimes losing it, you know, how, what can we can do as, as people in these domestic spaces, you know, how can we, and it's just something that we said that um, struggle to know how to react even, you know, like how sometimes violence in daily life can become so desensitizing. Sure. So Anyhow, we just hear yeah. about it. Yeah, we just hear about it. It becomes another, oh, it's another story, another shooting or another, you know, uh, violent act and it becomes a very... Uh, in the background, you yeah, know? and how so yeah. often the reaction, at least in my case, is to um, distract. Yeah, you know, turn on sports radio instead. Yeah, yeah. And even in sports radio, you you know, it, at the end, what hopefully you know, you get the sense that it's still there. Yeah. Even in the, the you know the, the sports you know transaction world. Yeah, it seems like there's no escaping that reality, the underlying reality. But at the same time, we we had the connections with those we love, and yeah. that's important to to focus on that even in the tension of the title with go because I love you you're going and then you know but that bond keeps you coming sure. back you know it feels to me yeah sure. so yeah so um so yeah talk a little bit more about like the connections the might we go a little more to the human stuff about you yeah. were talking a little bit a little bit more about the um the way the, the novel kind of the poetry collection kind of brings in those 
uh, humanities and the and the love. Yeah, I mean, it's like like I said, I, I so much of the book is about my wife and kids and yeah. people I love more than anybody in the world. Yeah. Um, so I I hope that that you know works yeah. its way in, but you know I don't I don't go into poems with these themes and goals in mind. Yeah. Really, I I come toward to the page of the screen with so much more. Uh, low expectations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, for me to talk in these sort of big grandiose terms oh, about course, my yeah. themes for the book. Yeah. Um, I really most days I wake up and try to write a single sentence that I like. Yeah. You know, a single line that I think doesn't suck. Yeah. And then once I get that line, that that one, whatever it is, that one detail, that one image, phrase, um, I try to make sure that every other line in the poem hits that bar. Yeah, that's that's my that's what I do. I don't feel like I'm in a work yeah. until I write something that takes me back, that surprises me, that that you know hits that bar in my eyes. Yeah, I try to have everything else hit that. That's good because, like, also one of the other guests we were talking about how uh, the, the name of the episode was testify and how we're all testifying to our experience as human beings and mm -hmm. we're all testifying to the the, uh, the realities that we live in, the truth that we live in. Yeah, and it's interesting to. You know, think about um, how we're we're standing by our relationship, standing by our love, and and also observing how the experience of others and the experience of our community and such like that. So, but also a little bit of transitioning into other things you're doing. Um, so I know you're uh, the drummer for Flying J and the Ghost Robbers, and a part of your experience. Can you talk a little bit about the being in a band and how that? informs you uh, as a poet maybe or does it or um, yeah I mean I guess there's some parallels with rhythm yeah um, although I'm a terrible dancer so maybe not maybe <laughs> yeah I go across all disciplines yeah um, but I love mostly what drumming is that is so different from writing yeah I love the differences more Good, than the similarities yeah, yeah. Um, I love the collaboration I love how physical it is um, I love that I can kind of just walk in with nothing and, you know, the energy comes from other people sometimes. Mm. Uh, I love that it's social. Yeah. For me, it's a really nice balance uh, being a writer and being a, in a band, a drummer yeah. in a band. Um, you know, with the drummer, it's me sort of laying down the foundation. Uh, I, and I write lyrics here and there, but primarily my job is to, to make everybody else sound good. Yeah, <laughs> good, good. And um, yeah. it's a lot of fun. You know, it's, you know we've been... Uh, we've been a band for about six months now. Before that, I was in a band called the Dust Engineers, and we were together for about three, four years. Uh -huh. uh, but yeah, we you know we've been playing, we've been playing out. We have about three, or four shows under our belt. We got about three or four more on the calendar. Mm -hmm. So it's been a lot of fun. Good, good. Yeah. And as a listener or as a reader, what else have you been exposed to that has been interesting now? Like anything you're you're reading or watching or listening to? Anything you want to talk about that? Might be good as a as a just as a uh, person of sure. I mean, yeah. um, I mean poetry. I, I'm, I'm always trying to read um, uh -huh. more poems, more poetry collections. Yeah, I find that for me, reading and writing are actually like a simultaneous activity. Yeah, that like me writing is me sitting at my desk with like a huge stack of books. Exactly. Yeah, and that like half the time I'm writing, quote unquote, I'm reading. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, I'm always kind of reading widely. Um, I love. Ada Limon's collection, Bright Dead Things. Mm -hmm. I love Carrie Fountain's work, uh, both of her collections. Uh, Instant Winner is her most recent one. That one's great as well. Um, Christopher Kempf, uh, his, um, his, his collection from Four Way Books is really great. Uh, what else have I been reading? I, I always come back to Larry Levis. Um, mm -hmm. His poems are personal and surreal. 
and wide ranging in ways that um, feel kind of endless to me. And then there's the Staples. There's Elizabeth Bishop. There's you know Langston Hughes. There's 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 yeah, the, 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 the ones you always yeah. come back to. Yeah, um, okay, good. And then you know novels and all that stuff as well. I what did I read recently? Oh, I read. Um, oh, the name is gonna escape me. Uh, by Emily St. John Mandel. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's that called um, again? Uh, Station Eleven. Station, Station Eleven. Yeah, about right. the uh, post-apocalyptic yeah. Shakespeare. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what, a, what a great novel. Yeah. Um, it was... If, if, a, if an apocalyptic novel could be uplifting yeah. and kind of, you know, hopeful in tone, she uh-huh. did it. And it was also just beautifully, beautifully written. Okay, great. Anything in media listening or watching or anything on Netflix or anything? Or? Going back to distractions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, did you see that show Mindhunter? No, no, I've heard it's of it really though. It's good. good, yeah. Yeah, just kind of the mind of like, you know, serial killers and that whole yeah. thing. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, really well acted, well done. Just honestly, if you're a fan of 1970s muscle cars, okay, it's good. worth seeing just yeah. for the cars. Yeah. Um, but that was a really cool show. And then. I liked Glow, um, that show Glow, Glorious Ladies of Wrestling. It was a kind of comedy. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that was, that I saw that. Cool yeah, it's all that. Yeah, yeah. That's good. They're, you know, yeah. Try to find. I don't have that much like time where I watch TV without you know, my wife. So like, <laughs> we try to find shows that we both like. Yeah. You know, so a couple yeah, other yeah. shows had to go by the wayside. Like I watched Walking Dead for years, and I had to give <laughs> up on it because that yeah. show was becoming just <laughs> god awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good, good. So, what are you looking forward to in the next years? What, what is you have? Have you started working on something or? Uh, yeah, I got really. Um, I don't know if this is a typical reaction, but the second my book got picked up by Diode Editions, yeah. I got um, really anxious. Yeah. That, like some, I don't know, like my poems were going away. Like someone was taking all my poems away. Yeah. And so I, I started writing immediately. Yeah. Which was great. I mean, I'm happy to be writing whenever I, I'll take it whenever I can. Uh, but I had sort of this sudden burst of creativity right after the book got picked up. Then I completely wiped out. Uh, I completely dried up. Uh, but basically I have, you know, I'm working towards a new collection. I got about, I'd say maybe fi- somewhere, you know, between 15 and 20 poems. That's good. On, yeah. on its way towards a new collection. Uh, but it's, I'm at that point now where I'm just writing. I'm not trying to figure out the connections between them or the narrative or the theme. Yeah. Uh, just writing whatever comes to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a bunch of readings coming up. Uh, starting with AWP, uh, I'm reading with uh, my press. We have an off-site reading uh, in Tampa, and then uh, my book launch is going to be at Q and Willow Books on April 14th, Good, Saturday, yeah. April 14th. And then you know I got about a dozen readings lined up for the spring. Uh-huh. So that should be fun. That should be good. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. And then, uh, I guess, do you any closing thoughts? Or I'm trying to think what other stuff. Uh, closing thoughts. Yeah, or anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we still have a few more minutes. But sure. I yeah. mean, no. I mean, uh, you want? Me, should I read yeah, a I closing could, poem? Yeah. Sure. Sure. Right. Anything that. in particular, or you want me to just pick one? I can pick one. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, you can pick one. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I'll pick one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll go with a funny one. Yeah. We'll, we were talking about that. Also, that idea of departures in all possible ways. There was that mention of the airport. Uh-huh. So this one um, is based on a true story. I was at Fort Lauderdale Airport, and we were at the gate terminal sort of waiting for our airplane, and the intercom came on, and you know they, they kind of like list people that forgot stuff over at the metal detector, and this person just kept going on about all, <laughs> this thing, all these yeah. things that this one person had forgotten. Yeah. Um, it's called, Upon hearing that someone has forgotten their laptop, 
iPhone, keys, wallet, and dog leash at airport security. <laughs> I remember in fifth grade losing two jackets in two days. Both times it was snowing, and my parents, more concerned than ticked off, kept asking, but didn't you feel the wind? I confess now I felt something windish, some dull vacancy tugging my bones. That must be what this person feels, his belongings droning over the Terminal D intercom, a plastic bin of himself, like bacteria in a petri dish. I crane my neck, half expecting to spot this traveler, smiling past snow globes and duty-free booze, or sprinting after his beloved schnauzer. Either way, I wish him well. Haven't we all been there, not all there, before? Hustling to keep up, make connections, leaving so many essentials behind. Thank you. Was it in Denver Airport? I feel like oh. that's like something this guy was like. No, it was Fort Lauderdale Airport. Oh, okay. And, and it seemed like the person on the intercom, even she was like a little shocked at how many yeah. things. Like the person like put all their stuff in that tray and just moved on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good, yeah. good. So. so yeah, it's good always to have, find those humor in like these absurd moments where we're thinking to ourselves, what is going on here, yeah. you know? These hidden <laughs> stories of people's lives around us that uh, seem to be so... Uh, uh, mysterious and so uh, absurd, you know. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, all right. So I guess we'll wrap up, and then uh, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This ends the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. Taking us out is Radiohead with House of Cards. Structure will collapse 
forget about 